Good evening. Good to be back on a Wednesday night after a couple of weeks off. We are finishing up the sixth chapter of Hebrews here tonight. If you're up on Facebook, you got an idea of what we're what we're getting into. And let's pick up over here at verse 13. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he would swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. So God made a promise to Abraham. Now, why make a promise? Why do people make promises? So as I begin to ponder just this, you know, why do people make promises? You, you think of the mom in the grocery store and the kids acting up. And so what do we do? What do some moms do? They make a promise. You know, if, <laughs> if you'll be good, if you do this, then this will happen. So what we're, what we're setting up here is uh, we're trying to get a win-win. A win for the mom in that the child stops acting up. And a win for the child in that they get something down the road that they want. So they have to, each one has to give up something, but each one gets something. And in the end, they feel like both benefited. That's why the promise was made. So mom, mom makes that promise. It might cost her uh, 50 cents, dollar, whatever it might be down the road to, uh, to do that. But she figures it's, it's worthwhile. And then the, the kid says, well, I can, I can act right, <laughs> which means they know how to act right. <laughs> I can act right for a little while so I can get that particular thing. So, but whenever a promise is made, a promise is made because both parties benefit. And so I began to contemplate this and began to think, when is a promise ever made that only one party benefits? I mean, why, why would you make the promise? There's, I mean, if, if you go in and you get a more elaborate promise and you sit down at a desk and you sign a mortgage. Now, both parties are supposed to get something out of this. The one party gets a house that they get to live in and call their own. The other party gets to loan you money and charge you interest. And so both in the end feel like they gain something that they want because the person who's buying the house wants to get the loan, even though it's going to cost them money. And the bank wants to get a loan as long as they feel like that they can pay the thing back. So again, we're looking at a, a win-win. That's a little bit more formal of, a, of one. And so when you have that filled out, then you know, the, uh, under, under penalty of law, you know, that uh, <laughs> they're going to give it. It's all stated. You know, if you don't make the payments, they take back the house. And uh, as long as you make the payments and they um, don't make it get out of the house and you know, things, things along those lines. So I was asking this question, why does God make a promise to Abraham? Why make it? Because in order to make a promise, the only reason that you make the promise is because both parties benefit. It's, I couldn't come up with a reason why you'd make a promise and only one party benefit. Now we can think, well, this is God. God's better than we are. <laughs> and he would make something that just would... Be, but actually, that's not the case. Because in order for this promise to go through, both parties benefit. There is a reason why God wants this promise to be made. There's a reason why. There's a reason why Abraham wants it. We know why Abraham wants it. He wants the land. He wants to be the father of many nations. He wants all the things with the kings and the, uh, all the fun stuff that went along with that. He wants the blessing. 
He wants the part that in those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. That sounds good. <laughs> he, he liked all these things that God was promising that would come his way. Well, God got something out of it too because the only way that God could bring salvation into the world was as he, if he had a covenant with a man. Then that covenant had to be ratified. And once it was, it was verified, then um, God had the opportunity to bring his son into the world. But he needed the covenant. He needed this to work with somebody. Abraham was the, as far as we know, Abraham was the first guy he picked. If he picked somebody before that and they failed and we just didn't hear about it, you know, we don't know. It's not recorded. But as far as we know, Abraham is the first guy he picked and Abraham was successful. And the promise was verified and everything went on. And so God was able to, through Abraham, bless all nations through Jesus Christ. And so there was a a win-win situation that was here. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Now, in Genesis 22, verse 15, this is where we have that promise with the uh, swearing by himself. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. And he said, By myself I have sworn. By myself I have sworn. says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now that, of course, is having reference to Jesus Christ. That's where he would, he would come through. But he, he, it's, the Word of God says that he swore by himself. Well, the reason that, you would, that people would make these swearing ends, you know, if you get up in court and they have you raise your right hand and uh, put your hand on the Bible, and do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And, of course, you would say, I do. Of course, there are some people that, for religious reasons, say that they can't do it, but apparently God could. I think that's interesting that they say they can't swear on the Bible or anything else in court for religious reasons, but God did it. So I don't know how you get past that. But God swore by himself because there was no greater. Now, the reason that they have you swear on the Bible and uh, under the authority of God is they consider that to be the highest authority. However, if you lie in there, it's not the authority of God that comes down upon you authority of the, of the law. And you know, with all the things that have been going on in recent, recent uh, weeks, months, whatever time frame it has been, we've uh, uncovered some of the things about the FBI and some of their investigations, and we have found out that it is a crime to lie to the FBI. But it is not a crime for the FBI to lie to you. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> they can tell you lies in order to get the truth out of you, but you can't tell a lie or misrepresent the truth or be mistaken, apparently, without... Uh, and people have gone to jail. I've, you know, years past, people have gone to jail because they apparently misremembered something or whatever it might be. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting what they put people in jail for and what they don't put people in jail for. I'm not quite sure I understand. It's kind of like the NFL. What is a catch? 
I think it's very much along those lines because <laughs> one time this is a catch in the game and this time it's not. One time this is illegal, but this time it's okay. <laughs> you can go out there and walk the streets. And so it's, I don't know, the FBI, it's kind of like the NFL, I think. <clears throat> That's why I'm not very interested in either one. But it said here that God swore by himself, which means he's calling in an authority. That's why you swear by something, is to call in an authority. That's what you'll, uh, what you'll need to do. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. So this was the verification of the promise that uh, Abraham had to be willing to sacrifice his son. And because he was willing and was ready to do it and proved that he was ready to do it, had the knife up in the air, ready to, ready to kill him, God stopped him and says, no, that's all I needed to know that you were willing to do it. Now I can send mine. And now salvation can come. And that's why God wanted that covenant and why he needed Abraham to be in a place of faith where he can make this, take this step. This was important. So he swore by himself, putting, him, putting that authority under there. Well, if God ever turns out to be a liar, everything falls apart. So God is basically saying, I'm, I'm vouching for myself, <laughs> which he can, he can apparently do. So the purpose of swearing by another is to put your promise under the authority of that one to make sure it is held to. So when you go into the bank and you sign all those papers, and boy, they have a lot of papers to sign. I've been through it a few times. It's not fun. It takes a while to get all that, all that going. Paperless society is not here. We're apparently signing more and more stuff. But if you, if you renege on it, there's, a, there's authorities that will come down upon you be, because that you have, have gone through. Even if you go into Best Buy and you decide to make a purchase of an appliance, then you've got to put your signature on there. You are saying that I submit to the, this authority and I promise to pay back this in, under the agreed terms. I mean, bought, a pair, bought some appliances, six months, no interest. I mean, that's real good when you need a refrigerator now <laughs> and you can figure it out, well, in six months I can just pay $100 a month and I can get that refrigerator that I need now and I not have to pay any interest on it. So we feel like it's a win. And then Best Buy feels like it's a win because they got you to buy their refrigerator. <laughs> so I got a, a win-win again. But this is what's going on here with this. God is putting himself under the, his own authority because there is no... Who's going to hold God accountable? He is the highest authority. But he says, I want this to be official. So I'm swearing by myself, by my own name. And if this comes up a liar, everything falls apart. Let me get to verse 15. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now notice that word, after. Now, we don't always like that word, after. We like that word, now. <laughs> but here it has the word, after. And so, after he had patiently endured. Now, this is just a side note. I do not know where this came from. But how many of you saw the little, the little thing I put up on Facebook? Nobody saw the... No, Keith saw it. Okay. One person saw it. Well, if you go back and you do happen to see it. Whenever I put these things up, I go out and I look for a little picture. I don't make them up myself. Why in the world reinvent the wheel? There's other people out there that have already done this thing. 
So I just put it into Google and I put in there Hebrews 6.15 and I said, let's see what kind of pictures we get out there for the thing and I find one that I like and I bring that one in and I put all the other words and stuff like that on it and then we, we shoot it up there and, and put it up. I don't know where these came from, but I was finding more of these uh, little, uh, little artwork, little pictures of, of things where they changed this verse. And I still don't know what they based it on. It makes absolutely no sense for me why they changed this verse. But they actually changed this verse to read, and so after she had patiently endured. <laughs> I don't know where this comes. I said, surely they're quoting the NRSV. And if you, you've been around here for a while, you know I despise the NRSV. That, that is worse than the Book of Mormon to me. I just despise that translation. With everything in me, I would burn every single copy if I could find them. And the place that I get all the bulletin artwork has apparently fallen in love with the NRSV. And they constantly are using the NRSV in their, their bulletin covers. And so sometimes they give you a bulletin cover and you can edit it. I will actually go back through, if I like the bulletin cover, and edit it and pull out all the NRSV translation, put in a New King James translation and change the name. I despise the NRSV that much. With everything, that's one of those translations that has turned all references to God to she. It's one of those that's out there. And they've done other things beside that. So I'm thinking maybe they pulled it from that. I can't find out why they're doing it. I can't even see the basis for it. But if you see anything out there about this, uh, I don't want you to say, think that I overlooked it. I don't know where it's coming from because obviously they're talking about Abraham and I'm pretty sure that Abraham's a man. I'm pretty sure about that. His wife, I think, was the sheep. Pretty sure that's how that, uh, that whole thing went. But anyway, they are all over the place up there. And I've never run into that before where they changed the pronoun so uh, blatantly. But they did in this one. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So it was after. It wasn't during. It was after. Now, patiently enduring would be easy if we all knew when after was. You know, is after, after a year? If you knew you had to wait a year, you'd be all right. Then you just set your focus on, it's going to be a year. And in one year, you know, we'll be there. You know, it's like if, if, if you were going to go out and you were going to do one of those fun little races or walks that they have for, to raise money or whatever it is. You know, the little uh, 5Ks and uh, what else do they do? Little short little little jaunts that are out there. Um, you know, just three miles or one mile fun run or whatever it is. And you get out there and, and you're ready for a, a one mile. Well, you know, when is the end of that little fun, fun run or walk that you're doing? When is the end? After one mile, after 5K or 3.1 miles or whatever it is that you, you did and you signed up for. Now, what if you, sh- you showed up? And you said, now this is, um, this is a one-mile one, right? And they said, well, we're not sure. We're just going to have you all walk for a while. And when we feel that it's done, we'll let you know. Now, how many, of you, how many were kind of questioning whether you'd want to get involved in that or not? <laughs> we we kind of like to know it's one mile down the road. It's three miles down the road. That's where it is we're going. They have these uh, things out there. I've never run in them. I have not desired to run in one. 
but I know that they're out there. And they call them ultra marathons because they're longer than a marathon. Uh, a lot of them are, are uh, just, they, they stop somewhere around 50 miles or so. But there's many that go on beyond that. And one of the more interesting ones is it's a 24-hour marathon. There's no distance to it. You run for 24 hours. Whoever goes the furthest wins. <laughs> so there's no set end to that race. You just keep running. Can you imagine not only being awake for the 24 hours, but running for the 24 hours? Run, walk, whatever it is you're going to do, and to, to get the furthest. How far do you have to go to win? I don't know. We don't, we don't know how far we have to go. It's a whole lot easier if we know how far we have to go, how far it is that we're supposed to, to go and to do this thing. One mile, three mile, five mile, whatever it might be. We can get our heads around that. But when he just says after, <laughs> after a while, and this is the God who says, behold, I come quickly. <laughs> so after is very relative here. And we got to uh, be careful with, the, with that. So, but, but if I knew what after was, after you have waited for a month, oh, I'm on board with that. I know I can wait a month. And so 30 days is what I got to do. I got to wait 30 days. Uh, after a year, okay, well, it's a little longer. Than I, can, I can wait a year. What if God came to Abraham and said, after 25 years? Well, the main reason that we can see in the Word of God that he waited 25 years was it took him 24 years to get in faith. <laughs> if he had gotten in faith sooner, he probably wouldn't have had to wait so much. But it said after. after. That's the problem. We just don't like this undefined thing. But you see, the patient endurance kind of rests on the fact that you don't know when it's over. Because if you knew when it was over, <laughs> you're not really patiently enduring. You just know when that, all right, well, I have to wait so long, and then it's, uh, it's going to be here. You know, when the, when the kids were getting ready for Christmas, and they put in their Christmas list on December the 1st, they knew they had to patiently endure for 25 days. And then someone came up with the brilliant idea of putting those Advent calendars up. And so you got the little doors, and inside the door, there's a little surprise. So you got a little surprise each day to carry you over <laughs> until you get to that day. You know, my granddaughter loved those little, little doors and whatever was in there. She doesn't just want one, though. She wants one over here, another one over here, another one over here. We'll open one up in the morning, one up in the afternoon, one up in the evening. We'll go over to Nani's house, and she'll have a couple of doors there for her open, too. Plus, she hasn't been there for a couple of days, so, you know, we got a couple of doors open. <laughs> so you got it all figured out. But see, these are things to help us, help, help us out with that. But it's not hard to patiently endure when you know December 25th is coming. That's, that's a bit easier. Abraham didn't know. He didn't know when it was coming. And that's the problem for us. I don't know. How long am I patiently enduring? It's that after part that gets us into problems. But that's what it says. And so, after... He had patiently endured. Now, I missed this on your outline. I had all these notes on patient endurance. And by the time I sent out your outline to the printer, I said, oh, <clears throat> I didn't put all that stuff in. So I copied it back over into mine. And uh, I'll give it to you for 
for what you want to do with it. But the word patiently endure actually comes as two words in the English. It's one word in the Greek. But the one word in Greek comes from two words. <laughs> it comes from the Greek word makros, which means long, distant, far, remote, or of long duration. I took these notes from um, Brother Rick Renner. He had some notes on, these, on this word. <clears throat> we get our, our word macaroni from this, which basically means long noodle. Macaroni comes from, from there. I, was, I saw that and I was thinking, what about macaroni and cheese? Those aren't very long. Those are kind of short. But I guess more things became macaroni than what was macaroni initially. That's all I can figure. But it uh, means long distance, far remote, or of long duration. And then the, other, the second part of the word is thumos. And you are familiar with that one. It's one of the words for anger. It means anger, swelling emotions, or a strong growing passion about something. So translate this, it is, one of the ways it's translated is long-suffering. When you see the word long-suffering in the word, such as in Galatians and other places in the, in the word of God, in uh, Corinthians, when it talks about love and long-suffering, you will see this same word that is here translated patient endurance. It's translated long-suffering in other places. Same word. Basically, you're patiently waiting until someone comes around, makes progress, changes, hears what you are trying to teach or communicate, or, as in this case, until the promise comes about. So when you see that word long-suffering, you are waiting, you are patiently waiting for a person to make changes in their life. Have there been people in your, in your life you have been patiently waiting for them to make changes? Their life isn't right. You're trying to counsel them. You're trying to help them. You're trying to talk with them. You're trying to give them wisdom and waiting for that change to come about. You're trying to get them to understand what it is you're trying to say. Have you had people in your, in your life like that? You're trying to get them to understand what you're trying to say. And, you know, it needs to be patience. Sometimes we get impatient with that whole thing. And that's not, that's not very helpful. But <clears throat> think, think of it. When, when was the last time you talked to somebody trying to get them to understand something? You're, you're trying to communicate something and they're not getting it. They're, they're not grabbing hold of this thing. How are you going to get them to, to do that? We had that going on this, this week. I had to call a customer service place. I love customer service people. And so I was communicating to them because they had uh, taken one of the bills we had. They had taken the bill and they had upped it because whatever promotion we were on was, uh, was off. It was over. Yeah, it was with uh, Verizon. You know, we had the, the, the Fios, the TV, the Internet, and the phone. And so my wife doesn't like paying a whole lot for that. And so last time, two years ago, when I went over there, she said, we're paying too much for this. We've got to reduce it. So I said, I went over and I... I talked to them about it. I reduced it by about 20 bucks, I think it was, 20, 25 bucks off the per the month. I came, I was all happy, reduced that by, she said, we're still paying too much. <laughs> so when they came on back and they said, <clears throat> you know, they, they upped it, I don't know, another 
20, 25 bucks, it, it went up on the, on the bill. And they said, your promotion has ended. Call and get another one. Basically is what they're saying to do. So I called to get another one. And so I called them up. And uh, they have a nice little app apparently over there. And they could, say, they could see all the different stations that we watch. So they can see all the ones that are in the package. And they can see which ones we watch. Obviously, there's more in the package than the ones we watch. And so uh, I said, well, you can see what's, what's there. You know, we like Hallmark. <laughs> he saw we, we like the church channel and uh, a couple other ones that are coming on there. And so he says, well, he says, the package that you have, we don't offer anymore. So it's kind of tough for us to do any kind of the same kind of discount we did before because we don't offer that package anymore. And I'm looking at all the other packages that we have. And, um, well, you're going to lose some stations and there are some stations that you like to watch. And I said, well, we don't like to do that. So he, uh, he went all through the thing and he's checking on stuff. And he says, all right, well, this is what I can do. He says, I can knock off, I can knock this down to, uh, he gave me a, a figure on it. And I says, well, that's more money than we were paying. And I just don't think that's going to work. So um, he, uh, he was doing something. Well, I just can't really see anything else we were doing. So I said, well, let's try to go at another way. See, I'm, I'm trying to communicate to him. What I want to do is to get down to what we were paying. <laughs> <laughs> what he's trying to do is to get me to have everything that we had before. So we're, we're going back and forth. We're trying to communicate this. So I came out of it another way. And I said, um, tell you what, how about if we drop the TV all together? And I just go out there and I subscribe to whatever channels that we want. And we just get the Internet from you. So he, he started adding all up there. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, you'll save you a lot of money. and drop you all the way down to here. I says, oh, all right, well, that might just work. I mean, I'll go do some research on it and see if I can find out how to subscribe to just the stations that we want. And then we're not paying for all these other ones as, as well. And so uh, now he's getting the idea. I'm communicating to him what it is that we're after. <laughs> and so he says, hang on just a minute. I'm going to check on to something else. <laughs> and so he had me on hold for a couple minutes and he came back on. He says, all right. He says, I think I found a way we can do this. And we can have you have all the, all the same channels that you got right now. I says, great, let's hear it. He says, uh, well, if you drop the phone number, if you drop the landline phone, we can take you, and from the amount that he had before to what he gave me was about a $40 difference. It dropped off. I said, I'm paying $40 for a phone we don't even use? I said, they've always told me I had to have that in the package in order to get the lower price. You're telling me if I drop the phone number, I save money? He says, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That's good. Cause then I can go back and say, I saved us another 20 bucks off of what we were paying before, which is about 40 bucks off of what we we're going to be paying. That's good. So uh, we did that. But see, it took a little while. But if, if I got upset and wasn't patient with him and, and, and just kept working on communicating this, he was a very nice man, and he worked very hard for it. And once we got to, he understood what our priorities were, and... <laughs> I understood what he could do. We got to where we needed to be. And that was, that was uh, real helpful. But you see, we had to have that, that patience. Because the reward doesn't come until after. And we don't always know how long the period of time is before the after comes up. So you've got to stay patient. So patiently wait until someone comes around, makes progress, changes. Here's what you are trying to teach or communicate, or as in this case, until the promise comes about. So he long suffered or patiently endured all that time. Let's read that verse of scripture again. 
And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. There was a promise that God made. God says, this is what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. You're going to have many descendants. You're going to have this land. You're going to name all these different things that he was going to have. And after he patiently endured, he obtained a promise. But that's what he had to do. He had to patiently endure. So I, I asked myself this question. How did, how did Abraham patiently endure? Because what a lot of us think about is I'm waiting for a promise from God to come about. God has given me a promise. Maybe that promise is in the area of health and healing. Maybe that promise is in the area of, of our calling or whatever it might be. We, have a, we feel like we have a promise from God and we're waiting for that promise to come about. I feel like I have done everything that I can do. I don't know what else to do, but the promise hasn't come. And I want that promise to come. So what is the difference between just hanging around and waiting for the promise to come and patient endurance? So I went back to take a look at Abraham's life and some of the things that were going on with Abraham's life to try and figure out what is patient endurance. Because if Abraham did it, and he's the one that the writer of Hebrews mentions, here's the guy who did it, why am I studying the life of David for this? I'm not saying that David didn't do it. David didn't patiently endure. What I'm saying is that Hebrews says, this is the guy who did it. If this is the guy who did it, he's the one we want to study. Well, first off, Hebrews 11, 8 through 17. I just wrote that reference in there. We're not, we, don't, we don't have to go there. You can go there on your own sometime. But it constantly refers to Abraham as walking in faith. He even pulls in his wife a few times, talks about how she walked in faith. Then one of the things that he did was he walked in faith. The second thing we see is that he spoke of the promises is already done. God changed his name. I'm going to make you a father of many nations, but now I'm going to change your name to father of money. So he had to keep going out there and saying, what's your name? My name is father of money. How many kids you got? I got none. But he had to keep going out there and proclaiming, I am father of many. So that's one of the things he had to do. He walked in faith. He proclaimed what God said, even though it wasn't there, declared that as, as, as going on. Here's the third one. Here's the big one. He considered not. In Romans 4.19, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now this word for consider is again a compound word. It comes from the Greek word kata, meaning down, something moving downward or a dominating force. And noeo, which refers to the mind, to thoroughly consider something, to think it through from top to bottom, or to deeply ponder a matter. If that sounds wordy, that's because I pulled that from Brother Rick. <laughs> to thoroughly consider something, to think it through from top to bottom, or to deeply ponder a matter. That is what this word means. So what he says is, he did not do this. He did not thoroughly consider something, think it through from top to bottom, or deeply ponder a matter. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. 
since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he went on and talked about some other things that are, that are there. He didn't consider these things. Now, when I am waiting for the promise to come, what does the enemy do with me? He brings in things for your consideration. Have you considered that you haven't got it yet? Have you considered that you still feel this way? Have you considered that brother, sister, so-and-so already got it? Have you considered that God doesn't care about you? Have you considered that the word may not work the way you think it works? And he brings all these things in for our consideration. What it says about Abraham is, he didn't consider it. So after he patiently endured, I think the thing we've got to specialize more is on the things we're considering. He considered not. He considered not his own body, now dead. He considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb. Go on to verse 20. I think there's something more in there that I, I didn't write down. These are the things of being, if you're going to be weak in faith, you're going to consider these things. He didn't. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He didn't waver. He didn't go back and forth. So this is part of the things that we need to do if we are going to patiently endure. Because when we bring in these other things for consideration, it causes us to waver. Well, I was convinced that this was going to happen for me, but now I'm not so sure. Why? Well, I was considering. Consider the fact that I'm still sick. I was considering the fact that I'm still in pain. I'm considering the fact that this still hasn't happened. I'm considering the fact that it hasn't come into fruition yet. Whatever it is that we're considering, the enemy is throwing these things out. And if I begin to take those things under consideration, I am no longer patiently enduring. I am no longer long-suffering, so to speak. Instead, I've decided that, you know what, I've suffered long enough. I've been patient long enough. But the Word of God is very clear in saying, and after. <laughs> after. Not before, and not while you are, but after. And we don't know what that after is. Because again, it's not a one-mile fun walk. 10K race. 5K race. It's not one of those short little things. And that you can be done in so many minutes. We're in it for, for days. We're in it for weeks. We're in it for months. Abraham was in it for years. Joseph patiently waited. Patiently endured for 17 or so years. Until he saw light at the end of the tunnel. Until things changed in his, his situation. How long should we wait? But you see, it's our mentality. If I'm going to keep considering these things, then the, the wait's going to seem like a long time. I've got to stop considering these. No, I'm, that's in the area of stuff I don't consider. What kind of stuff do we consider? What did Abraham consider? Abraham considered what God said. What did God say? God said, I'm going to be the father of many nations. So that's, what I, that's what I think on. That's what I consider. The enemy comes in and says, well, consider this. Your body's dead. <laughs> no, nope, I'm not going to consider that. Now, I'm going to consider that God said, I will make of you 
a mighty nation. I will bless all nations because of you. Kings will come from your body. I'm going to consider those things that God said. Well, no, no, hold on a minute. Consider this. Sarah hasn't had any babies when she was young. She's not going to have any babies now. For a while, he got him to consider this. Consider that Sarah's womb is dead. Consider, consider, um, the handmaid. Consider Hagar. And so he considered that. And he said, okay. Yeah, we'll bring that one. Let's, let's go. And that's, that's not, that's not patient endurance. He did not patiently endure all 25 years. He was wavering quite a bit. He was shaky quite a, quite a while. I don't know when the patient endurance started, but somewhere did. I imagine somewhere was around the time God changed his name, but it surely wasn't before then. I'm sure God is up there saying, we are not communicating <laughs> what we need from Abraham. What else can we do in here? Uh, we can change his name. All right, let's change his name. Let's do that. And they, God kept coming down, and I'll tell you what, if we give him this word, maybe he'll, he can hang on to this. And so God comes down and speaks another word to him. And he takes him out. Let's give him an object lesson. Take a look up at the stars. Take a look down at the sand. Can you count them? Give him an object lesson. Surely that will help him. And it did for a little while. But then he started considering other things. You see, if you're going to be in the area of patient endurance, we've got to stop considering the things that the enemy is bringing along our, our way. Not even considering them. I'm not even going to give that thought. Not even going to consider that at all. Yeah, but you might die. I'm not even going to consider that. This is the direction that we're going. This is what God's word promised me. Take a look at this. Luke chapter 12, verse 24. Consider the ravens that follow this word out. This word consider. Follow it out. Here it is in Luke 12, 24. Consider the ravens. So God says, if you want to consider something, consider them. Think long and hard about them. See, when this word is used, it's not a momentary shallow thought. This is deep thought into this particular thing. He says, I want you to think about the ravens. You've been thinking about what you need and so forth. Think about the ravens. See, the enemy wants you to think about what you need. What you don't have. What's God saying? Think about the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. But you have neither storehouses nor barns. And God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So just think about that. Well, God's feeding the ravens out there and he considers me more valuable. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 3. And why do you look at the, the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own? There's that word. Acts 7.31, when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight as he drew near the bush, we're speaking of here, to observe the voice of the Lord came to him. So he saw the burning bush at a distance. He says, I'm going to go near it. And he came near. Why? Because he wants to be completely envisioned by this burning bush. Acts 11.6, when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Peter speaking about his vision. And when I observed intently and considered, thought about it, thought long and hard, what's all this mean? Acts twenty-seven thirty-nine. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a, a bay with a beach. 
is Paul talking about the shipwreck. And they're looking out here. They found an island. They found some land. They didn't recognize the land. But they're, they're, they're looking at the land. They're looking at the, the island. They're trying to find, is there a place that we can land? Now, if you have been in a shipwreck for a number of weeks, I think it was somewhere around three weeks, they were in that, uh, they were in that storm. You were in the storm for three weeks and you finally come upon land and you're going to make a, a break for it. We've got to find a suitable place to bring the, the ship into. How casually are you looking over the bow? You're pretty serious about it, right? You're blocking everything else out. We are focused on this area because they considered. When I observed it intently and considered, I'm sorry, wrong wrong word, uh, 27. But they observed or they considered a bay with a beach. They observed, they were out there looking. They're looking, where can we go? Where can we go? And then they found this, this spot. That's the kind of intensity this word brings. Hebrews 10.24 And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. When we talk about each other, how that word consider, use, we're to think long and hard. Let's go on here. I put a note here in my outline. It's, It's not on yours. How easy it is to be taken up with our own matters and think lightly on the things of others. Let's not do that. So the biggest difference between patient endurance and hopeful waiting is what you allow yourself to consider. Because in hopeful waiting, we're just thinking, well, I hope that comes. Well, I pray that comes. But in patient endurance, it's not the same thing. We're pushing everything else aside. We are plowing forward to receive this. Here's some of the wording of people who are in more of the hopeful waiting. <sighs> if this doesn't work... If this doesn't happen soon, why won't it work for me? Those are people that are in hopeful waiting, not patient endurance. Verse 16. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So the purpose of an oath is to convince others that we are truthful. Isn't that right? Why do people, you know, the, I swear by and I, I swear by my mama, or they say other things, and and uh, they swear by all these. Why do they, why do they say that? They're trying to convince you that they're telling the truth. So it's to convince others this is how serious I am that I'm truthful. The purpose of an oath is that we intend to abide by our promise. And tell people that I'm I'm showing you my intent is I'm going to abide by this promise. To set a higher authority to ensure these two conditions are true. And that would be the third one. We're going to set a higher authority to ensure that these first two conditions are true. We're going to put ourselves under some authority. And that's why the oath is there. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Two immutable things. Those are the promise and the oath. The promise that God made, or promises, in this case it's talking about the promise to Abraham, and the oath that he made about that promise. 
And those, th- those two things are forever because God said them. Verse 19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil. See, a lot of times people are, are using hope in a wishful way. It's not this. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. That anchor means that no matter what the storm is coming in, it doesn't move you. You stay right there. But people can be moved. If you can be moved off the promise, then the hope you have is wishful thinking is not the Word of God. Because the Word of God, if you have it as, a, as your hope, it is an anchor. Now here's the thing. We all have the same Word. How is it an anchor for some and this wish, wishful bliss for some other people? Something that we want to have. It's the same Word. It's the same God. It's the same promise. It's the same oath. Everything about it is the same. But in one person, it is an anchor. And in another person, they're still all over the place. Because one person has learned how to patiently endure, whereas the other ones are just happening along, wishing and hoping that good things would happen to them. That the promise, well, I sure hope that comes true. For some, the very same words would be an anchor. For others, it would not. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he gets back into Melchizedek, which we get into in chapter 7. Let me read this passage, this part of the passage to you from the New Living Translation. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, the oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we have fled to him for refuge. We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so that same inner place that has taken Jesus, that same thing can take us there. That's what, he's, that's what he's teaching us here. God desired to be bound to what he said in the eyes of those who heard. He desired it. He wanted to be bound in the eyes of those who heard. So much that he made an oath or bound himself to do what he said he would do. The promises that God has made for us, he has promised, he has made an oath, and he is, he is so eager to see those things come about that he has bound himself in the presence of all by the greatest authority that he had, which was himself. So I put this in your outline for you. Do you view God as committed to his promises or having a way out? 
Now, of course, most of us would hear that and say, well, of course he's committed to his promises. And yet, how many Christians go around saying, well, I know God's promises are true, but because I see that God has a way out in my life. Why? Because I have not patiently endured. Because I have considered other things. I wasn't following after Abraham's example and considering not. I brought in some other things for consideration. And I considered those and brought them in. And so what was supposed to be an anchor is no longer an anchor, is no longer sure. And now I can go all over the place. And this is what the enemy wants to try and do is to get that sure anchor out of your life so that he can steer you all over the place. Well, I hope this happens, but I don't know. And he convinces us that God does not necessarily want to bring that about in your life. Other people, sure. Yeah, but probably not you. And he gives you things for consideration how God may want a way out. Because I don't, I'm not convinced that he sold out. But what God did and why God made the oath and why so much time is spent on this is that the author here wants you to know God is sold out to making his promises come about in your life. What he needs is someone else on the other side who will be just as sold out to receive. That they will patiently endure as Abraham had done. When God says something, He desires to bring it to pass. He desires it. That's His desire. He wants to bring it about. Because He said it. If He didn't want to bring it about, He wouldn't have said it. But He said it. Therefore, we can also wait with patient endurance just as Abraham did. If Abraham could do it, you could do it. Remember, Abraham didn't start off so well. But he got to the place where he was used as the example. You want an example of patient endurance? Here's Abraham. The guy who gets to the promised land and says, there's no food here, let's leave. And he heads on down to Egypt. That's not patient endurance. He didn't walk in at that. That's the guy who says, well, Sarah hasn't had any babies. Let's try something else. That's not patient endurance. Abraham did not walk in patient endurance all his life. But he got himself to the place where he did. And he was used as an example of what we can do. And once he got himself there, he didn't go back. Because once you have an anchor, you don't let it go. And that's what Abraham learned how to do. Father God, we thank you for the example of Abraham. We thank you that we can have the same patient endurance in our life that he had in his. And the promises that you have made to us, we will receive them just as he did. After we have patiently endured. After we have become convinced that God will bring about what he said he would do after we stop considering all these other things and after we only give consideration to the things that build up our faith, the things that you said in your word. I thank you, Father, that we can and we will obtain the promise that your word, your promises will be that anchor that they should be in our life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.